0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Good morning, Abner Creek. My name's Donald. My wife, Collier, and I, as um, it was mentioned earlier, uh, my wife Collier and I were members here um, back in 2011-ish before uh, leaving to take other ministry positions elsewhere after we finished seminary. And since then, our family's grown uh, we now live in Moore, and we have three children and a fourth on the way, any, due to, any, any day now do So um, we love this church. We love Abner Creek Baptist Church. We have so many, so many good memories here, uh, even though it was for just a short time. Um, we love the people here. There's many faces I don't know, and many faces that I do know that I wish that I had longer time here to know better. Um, But it is a joy anytime we get to be here and truly a privilege when I get to preach here because I know how Scott handled this pulpit for many years faithfully and the impact that he had on me and my preaching. And so to be able to uh, preach here at Abner Creek with a people I love after a man I love, um, it's a great honor and privilege. So thank you for having us today. Before we hear from God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer. Father as we open your word it's my prayer that we will truly hear from you this morning that as we consider a letter that was written by Jesus himself I pray that you will be very present with us this morning It's a hard text It's a hard text Lord to preach especially coming in from the outside but Lord It's the text that you have sovereignly placed before us this morning. And so, Lord, I pray for your help that I will handle this text faithfully, that your church will hear it with open ears and open heart, that we all will be changed by it, that you will change our hearts, that we will see your glory so that we will be transformed people. So my heart's cry right now is for help. What a wonderful, wonderful song. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you, Lord. We need you right now. So give us your help. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn in your copy of God's perfect and holy word to Revelation chapter 2. we will be starting in verse 18. Revelation 2.18, this week we study the fourth letter in a series of seven letters that Jesus sent to seven different churches in Asia Minor. In the last three weeks, you've heard three wonderful sermons to the churches in Ephesus, Myrna, and Pergamum. And this week, we look at a letter to the church of Thyatira. And before we read our text this morning and look at what we can learn from this letter... I need to set the scene for you for what's happening in this city. Uh, If we just simply read the letter to a church, uh, to a letter to a church in a random city to us, it won't have quite as much impact. So I need to set the context of what's happening in this people that Jesus is writing to. Thyatira is the smallest and least significant of the seven cities that you'll study during this, this series. It is not on Asia Minor's... Living Magazine's top ten list of growing places, you will not hear anyone then say, Hey, let's move to Thyatira. If you are living there, it's because you grew up there. It was a small, but it was a bustling city for its size. And the main reason for this is because it acted as a, a major trade city. Thyatira was a trading post for surrounding communities and other cities. It had Pergamum to its north, Smyrna and Sardis somewhat to its south. It was a natural meet-up spot for these other cities. So if you had something to trade, if you had somewhere to meet, well, hey, let's meet in the middle at Thyatira. And because it was a trading city, the people of Thyatira consisted of all different types of trades. You had your wool workers, you had workers of linen, workers of metal, Workers of garments, work of workers of all types of expensive dyes and potters and expensive garments with dyes, like Lydia, the woman that we know of in in Acts chapter 16, who is described as a seller of purple goods. This was her hometown, the city of Thyatira. And all these various trades kept Thyatira afloat. It's kind of like a Caribbean island. If you take tourism away, their main source of income, the island looks completely different and so is the case for Thyatira. If you you take these trades, if you take these skills away, the city goes from being a really small city to a non-existent city. The life of the city literally depended upon the individual skills of the workers. The various trades became the fundamental identity for these people in Thyatira. And when something becomes your fundamental identity, you begin to orient your whole life around it. And when you orient your whole life around something, the temptation is to worship it. The way the Thyatirians shaped their entire way of life around these trades, around these skills, were by developing guilds. Now, a guild is like a labor union mixed with a fraternity and sorority, But much more powerful, much more domineering, much more demanding upon its members. This is a special special guild, special clubs that each trade was a part of. And each club, each guild had its own god. So you had a club and a god for the wool workers and one for the potters, and one for the dyers, and one for the linen workers, and on and on and goes. These guilds ran the entire way of life in Thyatira. Your whole identity was developed around what guild, what club you were a part of. And these guilds were so natural to the people, so common that it would be like phones for our day. Everyone had one. You can count on one hand... Maybe you can count on one finger the amount of people you know without a phone. And for the people in Thyatira, this is how these guilds were, these special clubs. Everyone was a part of one. And their way of life almost required it. If you wanted to advance in life, if you wanted to advance through your guild, all the deals, all the benefits of life, the community events, the judicial system, The recreation, the educational system, the economy, the politics, religion, everything in the city ran through these various guilds, these powerful, demanding clubs, segregating various trades. Now, we don't really have anything today that quite compares to that such a domineering system. No one asks you when they meet you, hey, what club are you a part of? But in Thyatira, if you were anyone or if you wanted to be anyone, if you wanted to just be a normal citizen with equal rights and opportunity and justice, you had to be a part of your craft's guild. And oftentimes what would happen, these people would work at their craft during the day and then in the evenings their guild would throw big parties for them. So you work with these people and you spend free time with these people. And it was not uncommon for these parties to be long, extravagant, and wild. There would be feasts and drinking and activities and dancing and rituals performed to the craft's deity. And these parties went long into the night. Taking up all night sometimes. And you know what your grandmother said. Nothing good happens after midnight, right? Well, nothing good happens after midnight, especially when there's drunkenness and partying and rituals being performed to false gods. These parties would often turn into out-of-control sexual parties. All types of sexual immorality and orgies would take place. It was not uncommon for adultery and fornification to be unrestrained during late hours of the night, group intimacy just switched weekly. These people were letting their flesh run wild, unfiltered, unrestrained. If it felt good, then indulge in it. And it was a gross and shameful, sinful practice that completely dishonored the Lord in every way. But this was the way of life in Thyatira. You work with these people and then you party with them. They had a lot going on for a small city. And right in the middle of the city, you have one small group of people. Maybe meeting in a small room. One small group of people, the church of Thyatira. One small congregation in one small town living in the presence of this grotesque culture. And this small church in this small town, which seemed insignificant, gets a letter from Jesus. And let this be an encouragement to you. No matter how small our churches feel, no matter how insignificant they feel, Jesus cares about what's happening in his church. Decisions you make, Decisions you don't make. Direction and vision and effort to be a healthy church. Even when it seems small and insignificant, Jesus cares about what's happening in his church. So this small congregation in this small town gets a letter from the king of the world. And this is our text today. Chapter 2. Revelation, starting in verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and your faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. Verse 24. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule with them he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces even as i myself have received authority from my father and i will give him the morning star he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches may the lord bless the reading of his holy word You know the environment of Thyatira with all of her clubs and false deities and her parties, but what about the church there? What was her status? What was her response in such a culture? The church's main problem in Thyatira and the problem that Jesus addresses in this letter is this. The church tolerates unrepentant sin. The church knows the truth, they know the sinful actions of some in the church, and nothing is done about it. Nothing. They just let it go. They they turn their heads while people in the church are practicing these things. Well, Jesus sends a message to correct this church. And here's the main emphasis to learn from this letter, the main encouragement I want to lift to you this morning from the text. Be a church... That refuses to tolerate unrepentant sin. And be a church that resolves to commit yourself to faithfulness. I'll say it again. Be a church that refuses to tolerate unrepentant sin. And be a church that resolves to commit yourself to faithfulness. In this letter we see this verse. Jesus sees and knows the condition of his church. We see this in verses 18 through 21. Look at verse 18. Jesus sees and knows the condition of his church. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, that sounds strange to us. But Jesus is described as the author of his letter and he is the Son of God who has eyes of, like flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. He has eyes like flame of fire. and in, in other words, the Son of God has eyes that sees all and He knows all. As the psalmist declares in Psalm 139:1, O 1, oh Lord, You have searched me and You have known me, and so too does Jesus search and know and see the heart and mind of man and, and all of His intentions. Eyes like flame of fire here is symbolism pointing to Jesus' ability to see straight to the heart of things. Like fire just burns through and burns through and burns through until it gets to the center of something. The flame of fire eyes of Jesus, too, burns through and burns through until it gets to the center, the root of the matter. And he sees it all. Jesus knows exactly what's happening in this church, even better than they do. He sees the condition. And I'm compelled just for a quick moment to take just a side note. This is not necessarily my notes, but I'm going to create my encouragement to you this morning is Jesus sees the condition of this church. He knows what period you're in. And my encouragement to you is Jesus sees it and he knows it and he has not left you shepherdless. Jesus Christ, the lead shepherd, is still here leading this church. He has not abandoned you. His plans are still to prosper, as we just sang. He has not forgotten us. He sees it, and He knows it, and He cares for it. In the text, Jesus' feet are described as burnished bronze. Language that would be very familiar to these craftsmen. This is vivid imagery for Jesus' plan to one day stomp out evil with his heavy foot. He will come down heavy-footed on sin, evil, enemies of God's way. And they will be rightly judged. So he sees the condition. He will come down with a heavy foot in judgment. So what does Jesus see? What is the condition of the church? Look at verse 19. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Yes, Jesus sees the sinful state of Thyatira, but Jesus also knows the good that exists in the church. This church body is, in Thyatira is known for being loving and patient congregation. They are a serving church when they have a need they have no shortage of volunteers. Something needs to be done. There's a long line ready to do it. And as verse 19 says, their latter works exceed the first. They are growing in these loving and caring and service actions. But brothers and sisters, these traits are not alone, alone are not sufficient for a healthy church. Love and service and faith. That is not enough for a healthy church. Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby are wonderful companies who have the banner of love and kindness and faith and service, but they are not a church. The church in Thyatira has love and service and patience down, but Jesus has one thing against them, and it's a big one. Look at verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. They tolerate sin. You see that in the scripture. Specifically, they're tolerating a woman in their midst who is leading others to sin. Jesus refers to her as the woman Jezebel. Now, it's likely that this is a symbolic name for someone acting like Jezebel. Do you remember Jezebel in the Old Testament? She married Israel's king Ahab and led the nation in idolatry and the worship of Baal. And evidently, in the church of Thyatira, has, they have a woman, and she's in the church. She's in the midst meeting with them weekly. She calls herself a prophetess to the church, which means she's teaching and she's proclaiming things. She's saying, this is the word of the Lord. She's seducing, verse 20 says, she's seducing others in the church to practice sexual immorality and rituals with food to idols. And so just imagine for a second, being a citizen, being a member of this church in Thyatira. In order to survive, you must find work. But in order to work, you must join one of these crafts guilds, which has all sorts of initiations and implications for your life. Remember, the whole life revolved around these guilds. It becomes your identity. But what if someone asked you from your guild, what if someone asked you to do something unethical? Would your allegiance be to the church and Jesus Christ? Or would your allegiance be to your work and the guild that you find yourself a part of? And you say, well, that's easy. Uh, Be committed to Christ. Well, if so, all of a sudden, loss of job, loss of revenue, loss of support. You're considered an outcast. No advancement in life. How will you survive? See, for the Christians in Thyatira, they had this unbelievably hard predicament. They could work, be a part of a guild, and provide for their families, but compromise on ethics and be of a part of a group that worship false deities. Or they could refuse, stay committed to Christ, lose their jobs, be an outcast. This is a hard decision for these Christians. Many of them felt convicted of being a part of these guilds, especially when these big parties were thrown There was an expectation to participate with everyone else, to indulge into the food that was for the the idols, to be unrestrained in sexual encounters just like everyone else. So the predicament was what should we do? And this is where the woman in the church came up with a solution. She said, We can be Christians, but still participate in these activities. And they're like, how? This is, that would be against what Jesus says. Well, we aren't really wanting to do them. But since it's required, we'll do them if we have to. So if someone wants you to participate in idol rituals, hold your nose, keep your job. The Lord wants us to provide for our families, right? If someone wants to set you up with a sexual encounter at a party... Don't offend them. Just go ahead and participate and then ask for forgiveness. God's grace will cover you. Or it's not really a sin. God knows we don't want to do these things, but how else are we supposed to reach these prostitutes if if we're not reaching them? So for the sake of reaching them, gain their trust. Sleep with them. Develop and gain the trust. Lead them to the church. You can hear the absurdity in that logic. When truth is distorted, but this is what's happening. She's teaching the church like this. People are buying into the reasoning and they're falling into idolatry and sexual immorality. And verse 20 says she's seducing them. She is luring them into this sin. And this is what Jesus has against the church. They know it's happening and they let it. They they are strong in love and kindness, but they are turning their heads and tolerating these heinous acts of sin. This I have against you, Jesus says, that you tolerate the woman of sin. You are strong in love, but you tolerate it. Lots of churches today will commit themselves to being a loving, kind, patient serving church. In fact, our culture seems to prize that above all. For many, it doesn't matter what the church believes or what the church is convictional about. The world doesn't want to hear those things. When it looks at the church, all it wants is a loving, kind people who will serve them and who will occasionally throw cool events for their kids. The world doesn't want to hear convictional positions from the church. And while Jesus does call us to love and to serve people, we are to be about those things. Church, Jesus calls us to more. He calls the church to love and serve people in specific ways according to His standards and His terms. He calls the church to gospel clarity and convictional statements of faith. Specific beliefs from the scriptures and unwavering positions on truth. Unashamed allegiance to the Bible and resolved commitment to holiness. To be His embassy on earth to show what He is like and what is and isn't honorable to Him. If all you care about listen for the church here and other churches if all we care about is general socialistic love and routine humanitarian service with no commitment to gospel truth then we have abandoned the church of the scriptures and we have committed ourselves to a movement of the present age. Brothers and sisters this is all around us this is not just in Thyatira. Churches Everywhere, adop- there's a there's a Unitarian Universalist church right down the road in Spartanburg. I read in their mission statement recently, "quote Our faith draws on many religious sources, welcoming people of all different beliefs. We are united by shared values, not by creed or dogma." End quote. Church, Christ has called us to more. Our faith doesn't draw on many religious sources, but from one, the Bible, God's inerrant word. And yes, we welcome all people with loving, hugging arms, but we are not united by vague, shared values. We are united under the gospel of Jesus Christ as the Lord. And we are not a people who are against creeds and dogma. We, are believe, we believe creeds help us express the Bible's fundamentals of what the church is to be committed to. The church doesn't have to agree on everything, but we are called to be unwavering in our agreement on the most important things. Scripture, Christ, His church, sound doctrine. If we lose these things, we just become another organization who love and serve people. If we, as a church... If our only commitment to love and is to love and service while we ignore the severity and presence of sin, we will abandon the gospel calling of the Bible, we will disobey the commands of our Lord, and we will cease from being a true church. And please don't be mistaken. We, above all people, the Church of Jesus Christ, care about temporal and felt needs. We want to reach people in our communities who are broken. We want to love and we want to serve them. We want to have hope for the downcast and broken. We want to love and serve all people of all sorts of sufferings. But if we miss the message that Jesus Christ came into the world, as Paul says, to save sinners, if we miss that message, we will miss the message of Jesus. And if we miss it, we will soothe people with an earthly comfort while paving their way to an eternal damnation. The greatest way we can love and serve people is by leading them away from their sin that they stand condemned in and lead them to a Savior in Jesus Christ that they can be redeemed in. And this is where the church in Thyatira missed it. They raised love to a level of priority where nothing else mattered. As long as you're loving, indulge in everything else. And so they elevated love and they buried the severity of sin and Jesus calls them out on it. Abner Creek, you may not be tolerating a woman in your midst seducing others to sexual sin. I pray you're not. It's likely that you're not. But is there sin in the church that everyone knows about that no one else is addressing? I pray not. And if not, praise the Lord that there isn't. But it still happens today. I've I've seen it. The church, be on guard, refuse to tolerate unrepentant sin, and resolve to be a faithful church who stands on truth. First, we see Jesus sees and he knows the condition of the church. Second, we see in this letter that Jesus will bring judgment upon those who defame his glory in the church. This is a hard text. Jesus will bring judgment upon those who defame his glory in the church. The people tolerate it, unrepentant sin. Jesus will not. Notice the judgment that will come upon this woman and those who are involved with her. Verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Take note, church. God's judgment only comes after a refusal to repent. Had this woman and her followers repented of their evil ways, God would have granted forgiveness and restored her to the church. This is how the church works. We all, no one is elevated above anyone. We all help each other in our fight against sin. And then when sin is seen and and we repent of it, we are restored in love and grace. But after a prolonged time of patience from God, and these people were refusing to repent, the text says, God declares His judgment upon them. Verse 22, Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. This is literally a situation of, you made your bed, now lie in it. God declares that the seducing woman leading others to sexual sin will go from the sexual bed to the sickbed. And for others participating with her, God says he will throw into great tribulation unless they repent. The judgment continues, verse 23. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he, He searches the mind and heart, and will give to each one of you according to your works. I will strike the children dead. Children here is not likely the woman's physical children. Children is more likely her followers and those who are following the path behind her and walking down the road that she is leading. This is a serious offense before God. So much so that God declares that He will strike them dead for, de- for participating in these detestable acts. When we refuse to repent of our sin and continue to dwell in it instead, God's judgment of sickness, tribulation... And death may not be far behind us. There are grave consequences for our sin, especially unrepentant sin. God will not turn a blind eye like these people in the church did. As His name is dragged through the mud, He will bring justice for distorting His grace. And this is what He means in verse 23. I will give to each of you according to your works. For these people, wearing the name of Christ, but indulging themselves in all sorts of sin... With no shame for these people, God will hold accountable. The church who tolerates unrepentant sin, leaving it unchecked, is a church that's vandalizing the name of God. God established the church to be a a representation of His glory to the nations, to show the world what He is like, to show the world what He is about. When the church allows sin to go unresolved, it's painting a picture to the world that God approves of these actions. That we can indulge ourselves in these things and God's okay with it. And God will not stand for such a misrepresentation of himself. Verse 22 and 23 declares that Jesus will bring judgment upon those who defame his glory within the church. So let us be careful what we give license to in the church. And let us be careful... When we speak on behalf of God. But not everyone in this church at Thyatira has been seduced by this Jezebel. Some of them are holding fast to the word at great cost to themselves. Look at verse 24. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Part of Jesus' ability to see the condition of the church includes his ability to see those who are remaining faithful in the church. Or as the text says, those who are not holding to Jezebel's teachings, who are not participating in the deep things of Satan, where God's truth is distorted and His grace is taken advantage of. There are some in this church who are staying true to God's word. They're holding fast. And to these people, Jesus says in verse 24, I do not lay on you any other burden. In other words, the only burden I'm putting on you, one responsibility, is to stop tolerating this woman and her followers of sin. To deal with the matter that is infecting the other members of the church. Other than that, Jesus says, keep plodding along and being faithful. This has been a hard text, but this is where it gets really encouraging for his church. For those who follow Jesus to the end at great cost will inherit the reward he has prepared for them. This is the last emphasis of this letter. First, Jesus declared that he sees and knows the condition of the church. Second, Jesus declares that he will bring judgment upon those who defame his glory in the church. And finally, we see this at the conclusion. Jesus will remember and reward the faithful ones in his church. Look at verse 25 through 27. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earth and pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself had received authority from my Father. Jesus encourages the faithful ones in the church to hold on a little longer. To remain true and faithful to the calling that He has given them. To conquer sin and temptation. To keep fighting for holiness. To keep trusting in God for deliverance. All the way until Jesus comes back, keep holding fast. And to the ones who do this, Jesus gives the reward. Look at verse 26. Two rewards. Verse 26: one, the one who conquers and keeps my works to the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Christians will not always draw the short end, Christians will not always take one on the chin and keep moving, make great sacrifices. These Christians in Thyatira were losing almost everything. For refusing to participate in these ungodly acts. They were ridiculed and harassed. And made fun of. And, and, and put out. They were the bottom shelf of society. But Jesus says. These are the ones who will rule with him over the nations. The ones the nations laugh at. Will one day be the ones with authority over those nations. So church. I encourage you to hold fast. As the days become harder. And the church is. Continually marginalized in the society. Do not compromise on God's truth. However low we are placed in society. One day we will rule high with the king. So he promises this reward of ruling with him. And second and last. To the faithful Christians. He promises to give them the morning star. Verse 28. And I will give him the morning star. Now what is that? Look in the very last chapter of the Bible, same book, Revelation. Revelation 22, flip there and look at Revelation 22, verse 16. It says, Revelation 22, 16, I, Jesus, this is Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things through the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The morning star that Jesus promises to give faithful Christians is Christ himself. This is the ultimate prize for the believer, to be in the presence of Christ, meeting him face to face, the ultimate reality of Psalm 1611. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your hands are pleasures forevermore. When I was a child, what I looked forward to most about heaven were things that I'd heard from other people like streets of gold or mansions in the sky, never being hurt, never crying. But the older I get and the more I grow in my faith, the more I just desire to simply sit in the presence of Christ. Isn't that so? I want to behold the one who created me To see the one who knows my heart and mind better than I do. To embrace the one who's never left my side. Who has carried all my sorrows and all my shame. Who has ministered to me in times of great trouble. I want to listen to him who knows all my struggles and can identify with me in every way. To sit with him who has never let me down when everyone else has. There is no friend and no brother like Jesus. And there's no master and savior like him either. I want to look in the face of the one who bore my sin on the cross. I want to feel with my hands his scars and weep in gratitude, knowing that they were for me. I want to say thank you with a choked up voice with the one who saved my soul. And if you're a believer this morning, you know this desire, you feel this tug on your heart that the the gratitude that He has reached down. He has saw our sinful, undeserving state and He has chose to save us out of that. Seeing all of our pride and all of our selfishness, all of our stubbornness and rebellion, our sexual sin and our secret sin, our greeds and insecurity. Jesus saw all of that and He redeemed us. The prize of heaven is going to embrace the morning star. The prize of heaven is to... Embrace this God-man, Jesus Christ, and thank Him for all that He has done. And for those who remain faithful, Jesus promises they get Christ. If you have never trusted Christ, there's room at the table. There's going to be a great feast in heaven celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is a seat for you. If you would turn from your sin and trust in Christ. I'll close with verse 19. It rings as an echo to all churches throughout the centuries from Thyatira. Verse 29. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Abner Creek Baptist Church, hear from the Lord Jesus Christ. Be a faithful church who refuses to tolerate sin and resolves yourself to commit yourself to faithfulness. The really good news about this, remaining faithful, trusting in Christ, as you try to hold fast to Christ, you will realize that it is really Christ holding fast to you. Strengthening you, enabling you, persevering you. In my previous church, I closed every service, almost every service, with this encouragement. Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you. You believe the Lord, whatever happens, is able to keep his children. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be. Glory, majesty, dominion and authority, before all time, now and forevermore. Christ will keep you, and He will hold you fast. Let's pray. Father, your word is heavy, and your word is heavy because you are a God full of glory that is heavy. Such news of you is too high. We cannot attain it. But yet we see in your revealed word what you have called the church to be about. And so I pray that specifically for Abner Creek Baptist Church and this local community, Lord, with tons of other churches, but I pray specifically for Abner Creek that you will give grace to keep them, to, for them to remain a faithful church. A true representation of you to this world, that they will be light and salt and distinct, that you will be the great shepherd, that you will lead them and care for them and meet their needs beside still water. All for the glory of your name, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. So we're going to have a time of reflection. Where We're also going to be singing a song together. I pray that whatever the case is for you today, whatever's on your heart and mind, hear the word of the Lord and respond in whatever way the Lord leads you. And I don't know any of you. I will be here. I'd love to pray for you if that's what you need. Uh, Other deacons and other leaders in this church, I'm sure, would be willing to pray. If you need that, please come and have prayer. And for others, you sit and stand and worship the God